trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome aboard, fellow wrong thinkers. Speaking of fellow wrong thinkers, my friend Gary Welsh joins us. Hi, Gary. Brian, how you doing? I'm feeling encouraged, and, I, and I'm trying to decide like- if, 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 that's, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Because for the last year, oh, it's always a good thing. Yeah, well, for the last year and a few months, I've, I've kind of had this impression that if I'm not at least somewhat uneasy, something must be terribly wrong. I think I've been trained to be afraid. You know, that kind of irks me. How about you? No, I'm always optimistic. I'm always okay. feeling like this. Even in the worst of times, I was like, oh, this is only temporary. We're going we're gonna to come out of it. But uh, I'm just trying to think there's that old Russian saying where, where they, they wear their troubles in their blues like a warm blanket that they wrap around them to keep them warm at night. And, and that's just because in Russia, you know, everything was always bad. So they, that they just learned that, that it became very comforting. It's like sitting on an ice block, you know, that after a while becomes, you miss it if you're not sitting on it. And, and yeah. I think we got used to trouble. Well, I want to start with a with a familiar topic that you and I have covered uh, a lot in the last year and a couple of months, and that is uh, you know the COVID nineteen lockdowns, and and I think we've been pretty consistent that uh, it, it was not the right thing to do, and as, as we're moving ahead, I think that's becoming more and more apparent. I think the uh, the COVID nineteen emergency, and it was an emergency. I think we can legitimately say this was a real pandemic, but it still didn't justify the lockdowns. And I'm curious what you are seeing from your vantage point, Gary, in terms of um, governments at whatever level being uh, more tightly reined in or otherwise uh, having the tools taken out of their hands that they used to affect those lockdowns. Are you seeing this uh, anywhere? I am, but it's not as much as I would would have wanted to see. I And I, I don't think we're done yet. I, I think as people come out of this more and more, they're they're going to start questioning things. I've always said that it was not the disease that caused this. It was the government reaction to the disease. The Amen. disease itself would if we would have done the right preparations and the right responses would have had an impact, but nowhere near what we are dealing with right now because they took the wrong approach to it. And I think that's what's being manifested now as people are starting to realize that when they're seeing all these things that are happening and continue to happen, you know, going into the second year now, and and they're still trying to keep on that wagon of, hey, we still got to be careful. COVID's still a threat. You still got to do what we tell you. You know, they just rode that wagon a little too long now, and everybody's getting tired of it. Although, isn't it interesting, uh, and, and I don't know what this says about our human nature, but I think it's Brookline, Massachusetts, is uh, is instituting and, and they're reinstituting a mask requirement, even though the incidence of COVID in that uh, in that locality is very, very low, even though Massachusetts, which has been pretty hardcore on, on mask requirements, has backed off. Brookline is saying, nope, we're going to we're going to continue to keep it in place. And you have to wonder, what's the mentality at work 
that uh, that would actually make that seem like, well, yeah, this is a this is a good move when everyone everywhere else has finally caught on to, you know what, maybe we don't need to be double masking and maybe it's okay to even take them off. Yeah, it makes me wonder. I want I wonder if they're doing it for um, the people of India to protect them. We have to protect the people of India from this disease. So if we mask up, they're safe. Interesting. Now, that's that's a take I hadn't heard before, but I I did talk to a couple of friends. Well, I I had a couple of friends who were in uh, in Massachusetts last week. I know. I know. But but seriously, Massachusetts, they said you and I have been places where people are, you know, more lackadaisical. Some people are a little more intense. Hey, where's your mask? You know, Costco is a good example of you know where they really push you hard on the mask. But uh, these two friends who were in Boston last week said they have never experienced such aggression over the mask. Like if it just barely gets down over the end of the tip of your nose, peaks over the top of your mask, people had no problem with stopping and getting in your face and telling you, you need to fix your mask and and insisting and dragooning other people in, you know, to, to reinforce how important it was. So it surprises me. That's that's hardcore. That's very, dare I say, authoritarian. You know, but for Massachusetts, given what they've been willing to put up with, um, you know, in terms of their governance. Yeah. okay, I could see that attitude catching on. But I can't imagine, you know, when given the opportunity to to back away from that or for to to just let people make their choices. Here you have a community that's like, oh, no, no, we want to tighten down. And it's um, I don't know. It's like the um, the president and and his wife show up for a photo op with uh, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. Now, the Carters are in a very high-risk category because of their age. They're both, I think, well into their 90s. And here's uh, Joe Biden and Jill Biden without masks. And yet you think there he was at this uh, World Economic Summit or something uh, just a, a few days ago. He's the only leader on the Zoom call, but he's wearing that mask. And, that you know, it's just, it's become this symbol. And, and I'm not sure I like what exactly it appears to symbolize. And they're still playing on the fears. Um, this 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 whole thing with India and and what they are going through. Um, think about it. Why are they pushing that so hard? When you know, typically with everything else, even when COVID was at its worst, they really weren't looking at all these other countries and and what was going on with them. We focused on the U.S. and now they're they're absolutely focusing on this. And they're not focusing on the other countries that have basically stamped it out and are, are have already kickstarted their economies because they didn't take as drastic measures as the U.S. did. It, it's just perpetuating that fear, and they, and they want to keep it going for as long as they can, which is what I was referring to earlier. You know, they still say we got to wear the mask. Is it still dangerous? They want to perpetuate that fear because that fear is what gets compliance. Now, what's rich to me is you and I would be called out as fear mongering for pointing out that, hey, the overreaction, the official, you know, lockdown policies on the part of government actually turned out to be more dangerous than the virus itself. And yet, uh, you know, all we're trying to do is point out, look, there there were two dangers we faced last year. I, I read an article by Donald Boudreaux earlier today. Um, he says there were two novel dangers in early 2020, but only one of them. The one in the coronavirus was recognized as such, and it was taken as an excuse to be uh, a, an excuse for potential overreaction to justify. We, we have no time to think. We have no time to ask questions. We just have to act now. But the other danger 
which was what happens to people who are just going to try to live their lives to keep their businesses afloat. What's going to happen to them? That was largely ignored or severely discounted. We are called fear mongers for calling out the fear mongering of the people who would shut down, you know, most of the economy just because it was, you know, so dangerous. We, we can't stop and think we just have to do something, do anything. I hope I hope we learned something from this, but I'm not sure everybody got the, the lesson. No, and it's 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 kind of plain to me that those that are perpetuating this, whether it's from an honest desire to, you know, they really do believe it or for ulterior motives. But, you know, the, the whole thing with us is that they're saying, look, by challenging the status quo, by challenging the government, by challenging these regulations, you're going to allow it to come back. You're going to, to allow it to spread again. You know, these things were all for our good. And there's just really no evidence of that. But then again, this is a situation of where, you know, what, who, what's evidence? Who cares? What are the facts? Right. Nobody cares. Well, when people are panicked, they, they don't care. And so when they're, when they're panic stricken, they're the ones saying, hey, until the risk is brought all the way down, we can't afford the luxury of listening to you guys, Gary, who warn about the dangers of lockdowns. Isn't that convenient? You know, I mean, that's, that mindset works very much in favor of the people who, um, I guess, would, would be looking to consolidate more power, but not so, not so much in the favor of the people who are ostensibly being protected by these policies. Yeah, and, and we'll talk a lot about this in, in just this show and, all, and others about how they use fear to propose. That's a, that's a very typical socialist program. It, it's, it's, it's very common. So this isn't the first time this thing's been played out? Nah. As in, no. We, well, let's, let's talk about that. As in, we, we should have recognized it. It's, it's not like there haven't been voices that have, have sounded the warning all along. And, 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 Gary, this is, for me, the most frustrating part. People are starting to come to their senses. People are starting to say, okay, I can see where this may have been, you know, uh, a bit of an overreaction. What did we do wrong that they, they couldn't see it before? Maybe we can visit this in the next segment. I mean, I'm, I'm open to whatever correction I need and, you know, whatever improvement I could do. Because I feel like we tried really hard to make that to, that to message or at least make that clear. And yet somehow most people didn't want to hear it. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. And we are engaging in some pretty serious wrong thing here, I'm here to tell you. So, uh, Gary, I, I'm asking for some painful truth here, and I know I can count on you to give it to me because you don't seem to flinch from the painful truth. Um, what did we how did we how did we fail to get the message across to people how serious these uh, these lockdown policies would be in terms of consequences, not just to economics, but to our freedoms? I feel like like we must have failed to make the case because. There still seem to be a lot of people who are willing to embrace whatever it is someone in authority says. Well, I guess we better do it. So one of the things that folks of the liberty mindset, the conservative liberty mindset, is we're really big on facts. 
and evidence and logic and reason. That's the, those are key words for us. And what we don't realize is that most people, and this has been proven, there's lots of tests that everyone has done. Politicians absolutely understand this. Most people make decisions based on emotion, not on logic, not on reason. And they, they play to that. Those who were perpetuating played to that emotion by going into the fear factor. Fear is a very strong emotional trigger, and it's a common trope that socialists use, whether that's international jewelry or whether that's the communist threat or whether that's the capitalist imperialist. They always use that 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 very vague unknown threat. And, and we're even seeing it nowadays, even beyond COVID, where they're coming up with these threats. Oh, there's this threat out there. Russia is threatening us. China's threatening us. You got to get give us power. You know, the terrorists are coming after us. Give us power. That's just a very um, typical socialist approach to maintaining power. We approach this from a logical, reasonable, factual status. And here's the evidence, everybody. Here's here's the facts. Here's the numbers. But we never went to their emotion. And, and we could have done one of two things in my mind. Either one, strike up the emotion of, of freedom and, and how that's, that needs to be protected and how you want to protect that. Or two, strike up another fear, which is the fear of what these guys are doing to you and how this is going to lead to really bad things coming in the very near future. Um, to those who lost their jobs and those who lost their businesses, that was a very real fear, but there just wasn't enough of them. We couldn't get to the millions. So I think that number one, that's where we failed. And, and I think it's a common failure of, of folks on the right is we always come back with facts, evidence, data, information, numbers, and they always come with emotion. You're going to die. So we didn't win the hearts. Yeah. We tried, there you go. we tried to win them over with logic and yeah, I, I don't know. I, there, there has to be, I, I, there has to be a way to, to get that message across. But unfortunately it seems like humanity is prone to learn only after they put their foot in it and they're like, ah, oh, this kind of hurts. I don't know why I'm standing here with my foot stuck in a bear trap, but gee, if only there were some way it could have been avoided. I don't know. We learn after the fact, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say, but um, yeah. Let's let's talk about a couple of the other topics that uh, that you had in in mind for today. Um, there was no shortage of uh, great stuff to discuss. Um, what's this I hear about some movement on the part of the GOP to maybe get behind an infrastructure plan? Oh yeah. We're, okay. So here is my call out to all the Republicans out there that really believe in your party. And, and I know this is, this is GOP bashing, but they deserve it. <laughs> so Mitch McConnell comes out and he says, well, to counter Biden's $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan, we're going to come out with a $600 billion infrastructure plan. And here's my thing. For a party that is in your platform to reduce the deficit, um, when's the last time you guys did that? And secondly, uh, this increases the deficit again. So how is this a better plan? Well, it's not $2.3 trillion, Gary. Okay, but it's $600 billion, and it's in infrastructure. That is such a 
useless, wasted money project, whatever. Infrastructure has always been the call of the Democrats and the liberals just basically to put more structure and more power into themselves. It's never related to jobs. It's never related to revenues to bring the economy up. It's always just been a waste. And for these guys to come out with that, I think it's really time that that we call it now, that we really come out and call them on this one. Oh, I, I think I would agree. I I know it's it's showing, well, look at this. There's there's bipartisanship and there's there's this noble, you know, quest to work with the Democrats, but the bottom line is we're already drowning in debt. And this just uh this prolongs that drowning by a little bit longer. At least, I mean, I'm not trying to be a pessimist here. I'm just saying, you know, where where is someone to hold the line and say, maybe this isn't such a good idea? Because I'm not seeing well, that out of but, the GOP right now. And that's kind of to my point is that, okay, so for all those of you who do support the Republican Party, I think it's that it's time that we call a spade a spade and say, okay, you got to take out the deficit, you know, balanced budget, all those 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 platforms that you guys have that says we're going to reduce the deficit. We stand for reducing the deficit. We stand for balanced budget. We stand for um, um, right spending type of projects, things like that. Um, take that out of your platform because it's not real. It hasn't been real for well over 30 years now. And even with Trump, the, their their boy that was up there saying, hey, I'm going to really turn things around. Uh, and tr- while during Trump administration, especially in the first two years, which is the critical ones, this is where his guys were in charge, the Republicans in charge. We had a 66, six, $668 billion deficit increase in that first year and a $1 trillion deficit increase in the second year. Now, the third year was $3.3 trillion, but they blamed that on COVID, but I blame that on government reaction to COVID. But here we go. They're not reducing the deficit, and they're not projecting to reduce the deficit. They're not even coming up with any plans to reduce the deficit. In fact, they come out with plans to increase the deficit every year, and they have been doing this for at least 30 years. I think it's time that we just say, all right, Let's just take that out of the platform. That's not part of the Republican Party. Yeah, I, I would agree. At least they'd be more consistent in, in what they're doing. But how long can this go on? I mean, I've heard for years. Maybe maybe you heard this even when you were a kid. But I've heard for years why it's so important that we don't let the, the spending get away from us. Eventually, we're going to spend ourselves into a terrible place. And I can't say I've, I paid super close attention like I've been watching every day, but I have been watching the trend for at least the last 20, 25 years. And holy cow, I don't see how this could be sustainable, particularly the spending in just the last year. There's going to come a point somehow, somewhere, somebody's going to say enough and turn off the credit. And what happens then? I mean, they've kicked the can down the road about as far as they can. Gary, I don't think it can continue for, for that much longer. Not at these levels, because um, we're we're going to do the same this year. We're they're projecting another three point three trillion dollars to wow. do it, and you know we we throw trillion out there like it's nothing. You know, like oh yeah, that's just it's just a trillion dollars. That's a lot, a lot of money. And I'm not even so much like you know just the debt hole in general. I'm not I'm not like a, a lot of people that are like immediately worried about it. 
But there are still very big consequences from running into a debt society. There are major consequences to our economy when we are a debt society. Well, and and just look at uh, the cost of everything right now. I mean, the the cost of uh, of food is going up. It's being it's very noticeable, and uh, you know this has to do a lot with all the money that's being put into the economy created through this spending. I don't know. We're learning a lot about inflation, or at least we're about to. We'll continue our conversation just the other side of these messages. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be right back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Gary Welch is my guest. We got a lot of different things to talk about today. Gary, we kind of uh, kind of were heading into the... Uh, the realm of uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the U.S. foreign policy. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world right now. Um, what was this story about? Uh, there's concern that Russia may have moved up to physical attacks on U.S. personnel with energy weapons. So remember earlier when I was talking about scare tactics and how you use scare tactics. Well, one of the the easiest persons to make the boogeyman is the Russians. We've all grown up with the fear that the Russians are coming to get us. The Russians are going to kill us. The Russians are going to take over. The Russians are infiltrating us. And, you know, they switched things. They're, they're no longer a communist party anymore, although I'm, I'm not really sure their, their current uh, setup is any better. But, you know, they, we still like using them as the bad guys. They're, they're manipulating our elections. They're infiltrating our social media and, and getting people to do things that we don't want them to do. These evil Russians are out there attacking us. And the latest one came from um, the former um, acting defense secretary for under Donald Trump, Christopher Miller. He's making a big push for the CIA and the Biden administration to investigate U.S. personnel that have been, quote unquote, subject to particle weapons attacks. And what he's saying is that the, these personnel, especially overseas and some even here in the U.S., who are working in the government, have been talking about these symptoms that are that are close to what people have when when they've been tested on where they've done these particle microwaves and whatnot attacks on them. And they have these symptoms of headaches and dizziness and and they're they're basically exhibiting these symptoms. And this guy says it's the Russians. <laughs> they're using particle weapons on us. Now, here's the thing, Brian, though, if it was just him and he was saying that, I would just say, okay, dude, you just want your day in the in the sun and making these accusations. But guess what? The CIA is investigating it. And the Biden administration is saying, yeah, we think there's something there. And we think it's the Russians. Uh, okay, but uh, it may be. And I have to admit, I don't know. At the same time, aren't these the same people who were telling us, you know, that the, the Russians were behind everything? Every every time you disagreed, oh, you just sound like a Russian bot. So, I, you know, here's here's my point. I have to take it with a big grain of salt. Because they've been kind of fixated on the Russians before, 
and and not in in an accurate or uh, productive way. My big question, though, is why would the Russians do this? It 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 is not like it causes any lethal. It, it, it has minor symptoms at best. Why would they be doing this in risk? Basically, because that would be considered an attack. It doesn't matter if you kill anyone. If you're attacking Americans, that's an attack. And and why would you take that risk just so that you can make some U.S. low-level officials feel sick for a little bit to get you know have a headache or earache or dizziness or things like that? It doesn't make any like. Why would you take that kind of chance if you, if you're testing your weapons? These people have already shown they have no problem testing it on their own. They've got plenty of convicts. They got plenty of people that if they wanted to test weapons on, they would test it. Why do things like take it down to Havana and and hit the U.S. embassy personnel with it to see what would happen? Uh, It just doesn't make any sense. Like, why would they do that? So, you know, there's this little thing of, okay, why are you guys doing this? And it goes back to it's just more of this. The evil guys are out there. The boogeyman's going to get you, everybody. And and even then, I'm like, man, you're even looking at the wrong place. I mean, what the Chinese are doing with us, and and far as the threats that they present, I I just really don't want to go after the Russian boogeyman. Not, you know, I just don't think it's worthwhile. But you rightly pointed out, at least when we were talking a minute ago off the air, um, you know, China. At least uh, from from the standpoint of uh, their growing economic as well as military power and their expansionist aims, they pose a credible threat to um, the arrangement of power on the world stage. I'm not suggesting the U.S. needs to be the world's policeman, but uh, but Gary, you're right. China is is definitely feeling its oats and feeling, you know what, I'm grown up enough, America, you don't tell me what to do. And they've got a big stick to go with it. So we were talking about the debt in the last segment. Well, China has bought up most of that debt. And if you don't think they're using it, just look at the way that the U.S. reacts to China. They steal our technology. We do nothing. They steal secrets. We do nothing. You know, military hardcore secrets that we really don't want them to have. We do nothing. They have a... a um, really reverse kind of trade situation with us where they're getting all the benefits and giving nothing to us. And except for Trump trying to do something with them, we do nothing. They they fly over uh, Taiwan with their jets, with military aircraft, and force themselves on that. We don't respond at all. You got to ask yourself, why aren't we responding? And the answer is, is because we are afraid of them. So they are the big boy on the block. They have taken over that role of being the world leader. When the U.S. is bowing down to them and saying, you can do whatever you want, we're not going to stop you. There are no repercussions for the things you do and your activities. That means they're the ones in power. Interesting. So how does this bode for for us in your your view, Gary? Um, I mean, economically, militarily? I don't get the sense that China wants to come and take over America, but I do get the sense that uh, they are definitely asserting themselves, uh, particularly in in the Pacific, you know, and uh, the the little man-made islands that they've been building, you know, in in, uh, near near Japan. 
Yeah, it, it's just the same old thing that that all expansionists and governments do. Uh, Hitler did it. Everyone else does it. Is I'll keep doing it until you stop me. If, if you you know if I do something and you say nothing, okay, let's take it to the next level. Okay, you didn't do anything then. Let's take it to the next level. They keep going until somebody stands up there and draws a line and says, okay, it stops here. And usually it's too late. And that's, again, a thing that I don't like about having these big governments making big decisions and and running everything in our lives. By the time that they usually do something, then it's like, oh, oh, man, we got to go to war now. Yeah, all right. How's that going to work out for us? I was going to say, what's this we stuff, pale face? You know, I don't, you I, don't, I don't see any of the people who are making those decisions, you know, actually being at risk. But uh, they're definitely sending, you know, the sons and daughters of of other people to go and enforce those, uh, you know, policy dictates. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't want to sound, you know, anti-American to suggest that maybe we would be better off in many ways to to not interject ourselves into other people's squabbles. I have no idea why there are American troops in Syria right now where they have had a civil war going on for, for years. I don't see how that's our business. And I, you know, maybe somebody could explain it so I, I could see, but I don't think that, I don't think that the, the protecting that they're doing uh, such as it is, has anything to do with you or me or, you know, our, our inalienable rights. One of the things in politics is that we tend to be extreme. So it's either all or nothing. And very seldom is that the right solution. It's usually some kind of where in the middle where you want to be the, the right solution. So like when it comes to military power and how we use that military power, we should absolutely be the person to be that country in, in the in the world that goes after the aggressors. But that doesn't mean we go after everybody anywhere and how we use that power, like things like Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, you know, these places where we really had no business, then we become the bullies. And if we're the bully and the Chinese are the bullies, everybody else just goes, okay, one bully versus the other, who cares? You got to be the good guy. We got to have the white hats on and we've got to portray the good guys, which is you use your power constructively and for the right reasons and for the right purposes. And yeah, going, going in and letting China know that they cannot take over these other countries like Japan and Korea and all these other places where they're stomping on them. Yeah, I think that's a good use of our, our power projection. I probably would, would, would differ with you in some degree, but, but generally, as long as we're not using it to go out and just, you know, implement foreign policy by other means, um, I, I think that uh, I think the world would be a better place if we use something other than military might to try to, to exert that influence. And, you know, that's, it's only my opinion, but that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. We got to take a break. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll come back after this uh, break and we'll we'll continue with a couple of other things. Political balance in schools. That's a topic we're going to discuss. And believe me, there is a lot of talk about this in just about every state you turn to. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. So, Gary, um, you had sent me some information that North Carolina is proposing a political balance in schools bill. And with all the talk about critical race theory and stuff like this that uh, is, is catching on and in many cases being challenged by people who don't really want their kids being taught it. Um, how does this play into it? So I, I applaud North Carolina and other states. Other states are starting to do some of the same kind of things. They recognize the problem and that there is a propaganda machine that we have built. Our government has built these state governments have built a propaganda machine that is brainwashing our kids from a very early age. And the thing of it is, is, is you send your kids off to school, they spend six hours there a day for five days a week. And in that they're not really learning anything. They're just being indoctrinated and it's a one-sided indoctrination. It's not a, a well-rounded education. It's not being presented with different things. In fact, it's just the opposite. And this is nothing new. It was a big subject when I was raising my kids, which was 30 years ago, we fought it. We, we fought with teachers all the time about how they were punishing our children for standing up for the things that we taught them to stand up for and that they were only pushing one side of things, that it was always that one-sided issue, which was very much against a liberty, uh, conservative type of thinking. So I applaud this bill in that they're trying, they're going to require schools to provide what they call equal time. Um, it's kind of like the uh, campaign laws that if, if during the election, if you're a TV station and you present just one side, a topic on one side, you have to provide equal time for the other side. But here's my issue that I have with this. So whose sides are you presenting? The Democrats and the Republicans. Okay. What about the Libertarians? Don't you think maybe they have a voice in this? They would be a little different. What about the Constitutionalists? Don't you think they'll have a different viewpoint? So is this true equal time or is this just political? You know, we're putting politics in our schools where we're going to have red schools and blue schools Ooh. and red students and blue students. And it's, it's a, you know, a, a Republican versus Democrat dynamic that here we go again, the split, you know, let's split us up. Let's divide us. Let's get us out of each other's throats. It's I don't think it's, you know, let's find the truth. It has nothing to do with that. It's it's a very real concern. And, you know, even people who are skeptical, oh, come on, they're not going to try to teach kids a bunch of nonsense. Schools for learning the reading, writing, arithmetic. OK, fine. But uh, critical race theory definitely seems to be taking it in a very dark direction in that uh, this is, a, I think, the most open attempt I've ever seen to try to convince kids everything that came before you was wrong. And you have to totally reorder your thinking and reject all that came before and be trained as to what is acceptable and what isn't. Now, of course, it just happens that the people in in holding the current levers of power are the ones who get to define what is acceptable and what isn't. But what a scary time. You know, I mean, it's it's teaching kids to judge other people by the color of their skin. That tells you whether or not they had privilege or they were, you know, the oppressed. But this is classic Marxism. 
And, and, and the danger I see, and you mentioned this in, in response to North Carolina, is sometimes I think people step up and they want to be, well, we, you know, we want to make sure we put it into law. Schools cannot teach this. But beware, if you're asking government to solve the problem for you, it's going to see itself as the solution anytime anything related to that problem arises in the future. In other words, you're giving it power. You're declaring the playing field to be its rightful domain. And you may not necessarily want government to to be your problem solver in this case. Yeah. And, and just whatever happened to, you know, like the, the critical method and, and that the ones that used to be in schools where you, you explored everything and nothing was presented as the truth. Everything was just presented as these are options. These are things that are out there. You need to know about it. It's like, I have no problem with them teaching religion as long as they teach all of it, as long as they let everybody know this is what Christians believe, this is what Muslims believe, this is what Jews believe, and this is what atheists believe. That's fine. I I want my children to be exposed to that. I have no problem with that if it's just being presented as this is what they believe. But when you go and say this one is right and this one is wrong in religion or in politics or in social culture, I think at that point that that steps across a line. But then schools, we've, we've talked about this, they are very much in control mode of what you think and what you say. They are you know, pushing that even beyond the school boundaries. We've, we've talked about that where they said, okay, if you even off school, if you're off campus and you say something, we have the right to go after you and correct that, that wrong thinking that you are doing. Yeah, I am. I mean, my kids are, are pretty much through school. I have two kids that are still in, in public school, but uh, I think if I were a parent whose kids were either, you know, just getting ready to enter school or just starting out, I'd be given some pretty serious thought to, uh, you know, either homeschooling them, private schooling, even if it came at a deep sacrifice. I just, you know, I trust my kids to think and I've tried to teach my kids to be um, discerning and willing to ask questions and to question, you know, themselves, understanding they don't know it all either. But I don't know if I'd want my kids being exposed to some of the toxic, ugly stuff that is becoming normalized, you know, in in our systems today. And not just school, but corporate America, too. That whole woke revolution seems really scary and kind of eerily reminiscent of, uh, I don't know, the French Revolution. Yeah, and the, and the worst thing is that they taught our kids not to think independently. Go with the status quo, follow everyone, you know, follow the leaders, uh, make sure that, you know, you do what your entertainers tell you, that the entertainers are the ones, you know, are, are sports people and and singers and actors. They're the important ones. Make sure you listen to them. Don't listen to anyone else and make sure you follow along, because if you don't, there'll be consequences for that. Uh, I think that's even more dangerous than what they're doing. Yep. I just all I know is uh, the the battle for liberty is is a very real thing. And um, I'm not sure, you know, if there's if there's a one size fits all approach. But right now, I think that the, the place where it has to be fought most decisively is at the individual level first. You better be the kind of person who knows what you stand for, why you stand for it before you you know, start going out there and, and trying to fix other people and tell them this is what you should stand for. If, if you have trouble, um, you know, just enunciating, what are the things that are most important to you? And I mean, maybe I'd ask it this way, you know, are there things for which you would give up all of it? Your reputation, your, your livelihood, maybe your life. 
you know, that's a good place to start in, in evaluating what really matters to you. I don't know how many people have actually had that conversation with themselves. I don't know. Gary, maybe that's a fanatical thing. Maybe that's not something people should be doing. I, I, you know, I can see where people might see it as, as kind of crazy. If you don't know where you're, you are at, I don't know how you could tell everyone else where they need to be. I mean, you have to have that solid foundation of where you're at and, and what is truth to you and where you stand on things. And this is something that, you know, I loved about your show. And you've been very clear about that the purpose of your show is to create those local leaders and those individual leaders of people to say, you can think differently. You can stand against that status quo if it's wrong and and call it out and say, hey, that's not right. Maybe having influence on just those around you, but that's how we create change. If, If everybody just took 10 people and and we changed their thought processes on how they thought about things, we would have very large numbers very quickly. Okay, let's uh, let's bring it home. Give everybody uh, a little something to think about as, as we go our, our separate ways here, Gary. Um, what is something people could do today that would better equip them to, to be an effective defender of the things that are worth defending? Free markets, freedom, personal conscience, all of that. I've I, I'm always been a believer of work locally. Don't don't try to change the federal government. Don't try to change the nation. Don't try to train change everybody. Work on those within your local vicinity, right next to you. And and we called it out in the very beginning. Republicans, man, you've got a party that is not doing what you want it to do. They do not represent you anymore. Change that. Go after that party and go after that where you do have influence and say, hey, guys, if you're not going to do it, take it off your platform. You know, be honest, at least. No, I, I think I would agree. And, and you know, I would encourage people, even though this may have some people reach over and switch off the knob, you know, where I'm talking. Um, consider what you're consuming. Consider what you're filling your mind with. If it's stuff that makes you angry or stuff that makes you fearful, maybe reconsider because that kind of stuff can really distort your view of the world, and you might miss some of the good stuff that's going on, as well as, you know, picking up on some of the bad stuff. Gary, thanks for joining me. Great to talk with you, as always. This is The Brian Hyde Show.